everyone. I'm Kevin Winder, and thanks for tuning in to another podcast of Beyond Everything Radio. And as always, I have a question for you. Do you believe the great day of judgment awaits everyone? For centuries, religion has taught us that heaven is on the other side of our death and that there's a great day of judgment where good and bad people are sent to their eternal destinations. Join me now as we take a scholarly look at the parable of the dragnet where this text reveals an alternative way this separation could look. Join me now as this often intimidating and threatening parable suddenly offers the good news and hope for the world, which religion is strangely unwilling to proclaim. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for coming back to yet another podcast of Beyond Everything Radio. I am your host. My name is Kevin Winder. I like to serve the world as an online pastor, author, and coach, among other things that I do, just like you. I say that quite often. I want to welcome you to the program if you're new, if you're returning, if you've been here for the decade that we've been around. Thank you so much for giving your time, your attention to this. Uh, It is not the entertaining podcast of the century. It is not about celebrities and dish and drama. It is not about politics and news and which side, which half of the world that you hate. Um, No, this is actually has more to do with your present life and your future than any of these other types of shows. So Those of you who've discovered the power that's embedded in this, in the power of learning scripture, you know how this is transformative. It changes our life. It shapes how we see things and understand things. And today is going to be one of those days. We return to our series in called the, uh, in our series of the parables, and we are looking at the parable of the dragnet. So, um, put your college uh, scholarly thinking cap on and join me because this is going to be kind of a, a deep dive, a little consideration. We're going to educate you and then hopefully I will convince you of, of dislodging a belief that has been stuck in our heads for a long, long time. So this is podcast number 365, it's called The Dragnet. Now, you've heard me talk about this term called hermeneutics. Now, hermeneutics is the seminary term for the science or the study of interpretation, particularly the Bible. So anybody who's going to become a pastor, a Bible teacher, you know, whatever, and goes to seminary, has to take hermeneutics. It's a difficult course, but you learn all of the rules which allow people from all over in different cultures and different times and different ages to read the scripture and derive a similar um, interpretation. Otherwise, people will just interpret it uh, however they want, and then it gets messed up. And 
I want to tell you all about this because I don't want you to just think I'm interpreting however I want. That's a common assumption from people for who, one, don't study scripture or who are just deeply embedded in their tribal institutional religion. The better a person has or the more hermeneutical skill a person has, the better they can interpret the meaning of the scripture the more the meaning of the scripture can come through because there is a 2,000 plus year gap between when it was said, 30, 40, 50 years between it was writ- when it was written down and then another 2,000 to when we get it. So, uh, And then there's lane- language and cultural barriers and everything else that come in the way. So how do you get to that real thing? So one of the common problems when interpreting the Bible is when the interpreter inserts or imports into the text their own bias, their own assumption, their own presuppositions. This biblical error is called eisegesis. It means that, you know, if you take an idea that came along in 1952 and and put it into the Bible— in the way that you interpret the scripture, then you are reading into scripture its interpretation. This is what's happened so much with our uh, teaching about the end times, the end of the world, right? These ideas of pre-millennial, pre-tribulation are only about 150 years old since Darby came from England and his dispensational teaching. But nonetheless, 95% of modern Christianity believes this stuff. And so I mention this because the parable I'm going to share today has a gravitational pull in it, which almost guarantees the reader will eisegete a common theological assumption directly into the text. You're going to read something in here. You're going to hear these words and automatically insert an assumption. My hope is that we can pause just prior to that insertion and examine the text to see what it's saying first, then we can strive for a more accurate, the more available interpretation. Okay, so let's start by reading the passage. It comes out of Matthew chapter 13, verses 47 through 50. This is Jesus talking. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so was I right? Did that passage cause you to make assumptions about heaven, about hell, that maybe Hollywood or Dante's Inferno put in your head? See, at first reading, we quickly see that Jesus is using a parable to illustrate for his disciples what heaven is is like, what this kingdom is like that he's trying to bring to earth. He's not giving you an evacuation strategy on how to get to heaven one day when you die. He's been talking about how heaven comes here and is here now. 
So in this passage, he compares it to a dragnet. The term sagene refers to what was called a scene net or a long net that would be dropped off the back of the boat and it kind of drag along behind the boat. It spread out as it was moving. And its purpose was to gather all sizes and types of fish, and as you can imagine, it would gather literally everything else. It's a passive way of fishing. So Jesus is revealing that heaven is like this. Heaven has every kind. The Greek term there is pontos genos, right? All kind of fish from the sea. So since the previous parables taught us that we've already seen in this series, that heaven is here, it's now, and that it's both objective and subjective, right? Since he just got done teaching us that in the verses preceding. So this is the contextual framework, right? If you don't get context right, you don't get the scripture right. So taking a scripture out of context, obviously, is the massive hermeneutical issue, right? So now we're reading this in its context. And this is interesting because now we know that this metaphor of fish refers not only to different groups of people, but different aspects of each person. This is important. He just explained how that is possible with the treasure and the merchant, objective and subjective. This rendering holds the most fidelity to the chain of parables. So, like I said earlier in the series, one parable doesn't tell you about heaven. One parable often seems to contradict what the other parable is saying, which tells us that there's a bigger discovery of what heaven is like. And so, when you add all the pieces together, it's like a quilt, it's like a tapestry, it's, it's a chain of parables that together say something larger than each individual one. It's an understanding. It's an ability to see and hear, right? So the context is so important. It's absolutely vital to good hermeneutics, to good interpretation. And so what I'm giving you here in this kind of scholarship approach, I know it's probably the more boring kind of conversation, but it's really important for you to see that this falls within a framework of trying of Jesus trying to explain something to the his disciples and people around who basically had a very difficult time getting it and it's not that different from us right we have a hard time getting it too and here this passage depicts the great sorting through which is a metaphor for the day of judgment so yes Jesus is saying there is a day of judgment a moment of decision the great eternal moment where the, a separation, a pulling apart takes place. And Jesus is pointing us to heaven at the end of the age. And the term there is suntalai to ionos, right? The edge of the ion, the age, the, the, the trajectory. So this is teleological. And like the weeds that grow together, in the kingdom until the end so the fish are grouped together until this end so there is a teleological perspective an end time a time at the end the the end of the age as it says where there is this sorting 
that's going to take place. And until then, these fish, which are all kinds, grow together. Now, is this a metaphor for the world and all the different people? Or is this also saying something about you? Like, as you've grown, what kinds of things run through your mind? Only good things? Only righteous? Only perfectly pure things? Or are you kind of a mix of all kinds? <laughs> right? If, if your thoughts were broadcast on a loudspeaker where everybody could hear them all the time, everything you thought, and your, everything your eyes saw were telegraphed onto a video screen so everybody could see what you see and hear what you think, would it be all righteous? See, this is kind of getting at it, isn't it? It's, it's, a, it's a challenge. When the parable refers to the men sorting fish, it's telling us clearly these are angels. And it's saying separating the good or the bad. But when it refers to the end of the age, it refers to angels sorting the evil from the righteous, ek meso, out from among. Now that's important. That term, it, it's, it's from among. Now, if you think of all that's going on in your head and you wanted to live the most righteous life possible, you would have to separate evil thoughts, corrupt thoughts, lustful thoughts, egotistical thoughts, whatever, from among your righteous thoughts. Is that more likely how it is inside? So this implication at first, there's this moral valuation that's placed on us. It's like, you got to be good. And second, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're throwing the baby out with a bathwater. This is the problem. What religion has really, it really cashed in on this and still does. You take this away from religion and religion doesn't make nearly as much money. That is where so many of us get tripped up. It's very easy to see this great judgment or separation as the throwing out, the balo, of people who must be entirely evil. It uses this term otos, which can mean them, right? It or it, which is really important, they or the same. So when he says... When he says, you know, this is separating the good into containers and throwing away the bad, the angels will come and separate the evil from the righteous and throw, the English says, them. This term literally can and does mean the same, or it means it. So if you read this, the angels will come and separate the evil from the righteous and throw it into the furnace that's the place. What would you think? Like, that would change everything. So, yes, it can mean them. You could you can conclude, as religion has, for good reason, that this is separating all good people and from all bad people. But it's also could say, also saying that this text allows for a distinction from among people. But religion doesn't allow for that. Now, if... If we were going to say that, well, a person did evil in the world and they are thus evil, like you stole, so you're a thief. You killed, so you're a murderer. 
How many of us are saying, well, you have a righteous thought, so therefore you are entirely righteous? You want you did something good, so therefore you are entirely good. Nobody, nobody flips the script and thinks of it like that. We all know that even though you're doing something good and you're having righteous thoughts, you're not entirely that. So we need to pay attention to these realities. Nobody interprets a righteous person as entirely righteous. And so that's important because religion allows for the story to say that at the end, if you pick our team, then you, that truth that I'm trying to drive out here will be real for you. Meaning oh, that evil part will be finally removed from you, but everybody else is completely evil. As I've already shown the previous parable that this day of judgment is depicted in scripture in many places. This is not, this is a, this is something that I do believe will exist and does exist. I think how we understand it uh, varies. It, it clearly reveals not only the separation of complete people, but the separation of parts of people, that part of them. Like in Revelation 21, 8, where it says, Tomeros, Oton, it clearly says that part of them. In the English translation, their portion. First yeah, Corinthians three fifteen says, you know, yeah, you, you know, you're gonna have it all burned down, but um, but your soul will be saved. You will be saved only through fire. So like, there's this separation, of course, at this day of judgment. Yet Scripture isn't is not. It's just, it clearly is saying that there's this part that's getting taken out. I'm not making this up. I'm trying to show you that Scripture is replete with this idea that that part of you is removed, not you're just being removed. It seems more textually accurate then for these parables to fit into that trajectory, that teleology, that eschatology, than what we've been given. And to view the passage in the same light as those who would have already heard it, meaning if you wanted to hear this as Jesus taught it, if you wanted to hear this as the disciples heard this, you would have to get rid of all of this narratives of church history and, and you know, Dante's Inferno and all of the stories of Hollywood and, you know, horror movies and everything else. And I've, and I've already dealt with the idioms in my teaching about Gehenna, the fiery furnace, the weeping and gnashing of teeth. All of this stuff in the local mind would have been easy to understood. But for us, the temptation to insert our bias can't be overstated. We eisegete here because of Hollywood and Dante's Inferno and the Left Behind series. You know, literally fictional authors are in usurping our source of truth. And Jesus' audience would never have understood it that way. They would have understood that he was talking about the city dump where they burn trash, where the marginalized would be relegated, who could not live in peace or within the safety of the city walls. Dante's Inferno in Hollywood would not influence the understanding of hell as a subterranean torture center for centuries to come. So all this meant that this parable is revealing something truly amazing about heaven. First, that heaven is here and now, and that it includes every single person. The dragnet means that all tapanta are here. Second, heaven is also not fully here. 
It's not 100% here. It's still here now, but not yet. And when it comes in its totality, there will be a sorting through of every citizen that abides in here. Everyone collected is going to be sorted. Each person will have that evil removed, leaving only the righteous part. That's the conclusion I want to offer. This isn't something new. This isn't heretical teaching. This is actually in the text, as I've shown. The pseudo, which is in the Revelation text, which is translated often as lie, or the word means falsehood, or the falsehood, which means false self, right? our pseudonym. This unknowable part, the evil, will be consumed and burnt in a fire which consumes it properly, right? This, how else does perfect truth get rid of anything that's not true? Any falsehood has to be destroyed completely. It can't exist in perfect truth. So this means heaven in perfection is the place of perfection where all humanity is united to their maker who has rid each child of God from the evil of this life enabling each of us to live in the righteousness, the graciously given peace by our Heavenly Father. This is essentially the teaching that religion has arrived at, but it has insisted, rather, that only those in their tribe will benefit from that part, who share the subscription to a very narrow and particular belief system, are going to have their sin removed. Whereas in this passage, Jesus makes no mention of a religious requirement whatsoever. In fact, such a requirement goes against the corpus of Christ's teaching. If you listen to all the stuff, and I have a, a link on my website, you can go to search for Rediscover the Bible and then go down and click on The Rabbi Teaches. And there you'll see a, a number of things I've taught about that shows that Jesus has actually... His teaching is, is quite interesting. He's not saying what religion is saying. In fact, the people that reject him more than anyone else are the religious mind, and it's true today too. Folks, the dragnet reminds us that we are in the middle of a process. The kingdom is here. It's not fully baked. It's not all the way here. And we're all being dragged along together in it. We all belong together in it and we will all undergo a separation if that separation if there is very little righteous thinking if your orientation has been entirely selfish a carnal debased and your entire life has been there, that that removal of every false thing that you think is you is going to be extremely painful. There may be very little of what you think is you left, but it's going to be gone. That evil, that part, tomeris oton, will be separated from among ek meso, the righteous. See, <laughs> this is where it's absolutely amazing. Let that sink in. Take some time to think and rethink again this kingdom of heaven. The judgment, if you think about it, is not necessarily one day. It is in this eternal moment. And if that eternal moment dawns on you, 
it's actually right now. And the term metanoia, which is the church's word for repent, it simply means to think and think again, to rethink, reconsider. So when John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here, what he's saying is he's saying, rethink the kingdom of heaven. And so this parable echoes the same good news. Jesus is doing that in the parable in a way that allows you to hear and see if we can just get to that raw teaching that was there all along and strip away 2,000 years of church history and assumption and insertion, maybe we can see that this text is actually saying this. It's actually saying, rethink the kingdom. Reconsider heaven. And then this parable echoes some profoundly good news, doesn't it? It's not a threat. It's not religious intimidation. It's not, you better put a chrome fish on your car and turn your radio presets to K-Love or Jesus is your enemy. It's saying, we get it. Just endure the trip because there's going to come a time when all of that will be pulled off and what's remaining, the righteous part, that true part of you that was written in the book of life from the day God conceived of you, which is eternity past, is what is. That's who you truly are. And like all parables, they apply to those who have ears to hear. So my question for you is, can you hear it? Can you see it? God bless you.